Hello, everybody. Andrew Gomison here with the Speaking for Him podcast. Super glad that you have chosen to join us today. I have a lot to cover, but first of all, let me tell you that today we are looking at another myth in our Back to Basics Myths of Modern Christianity series, and that is the myth that Christians and others can harness the power of the law of attraction. Now, the law of attraction is basically the idea that you can bring positivity into your life by thinking positively. Now, I do think there's a kernel of truth here, but that's been the case with almost everything we've talked about because the devil doesn't really have any new material. He just focuses on what God has said and he twists it around. So we're going to unpack that a little bit more um, as the show goes on. But before we do that, I want to talk to you about what is going on. Well, I'm really excited, as I said, to be back with you this week. The first thing I want to talk to you about is Christopher Columbus. Uh, Because this week um, we celebrated Columbus Day and many people... um, have kind of changed the focus of it to Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, Many are convinced that Christopher Columbus was an evil person who was just focused on on exploiting um, others, and especially natives that he ran into when he came to the New World. Um, But I would like to share with you some excerpts from an article. This article is called Christopher Columbus, a sinner with a heart for frontier missions. And let me just read this and then I'll have some additional comments. The author writes, Peter Marshall in his book, The Light and the Glory, says, On every island at which they stopped, Columbus had his men erect a large wooden cross as a token of Jesus Christ our Lord and in honor of the Christian faith. Almost always... They found inhabitants peaceful, innocent, and trusting, and the admiral admiral gave strict orders that they were not to be molested or maltreated in any way. He had determined that their own reputation, which was obviously preceding them through the islands, would be as favorably as possible. After his triumphal return to Spain, Columbus returned to the New World with a complement of 17 ships a thousand men. They arrived at La Navidad to find all the men left behind dead, some by each other's hand, most of them by the tribes of enemies, other than the ones they had befriended. Marshall reports that no sooner had the Nina departed the year before than the men had started indulging their lust with the Indian woman, nor were they satisfied with one each, but took as many as they could get. No longer did they barter for gold, they simply seized it, doing violence to any Indians who who protested. Quarreling among themselves and killing one another, they had split into factions, and thus were easily ambushed and overrun. It was in this situation that Columbus found himself totally unable to meet the challenge of governing. He cannot be blamed for what others did in his absence, but his failure to deal with the situation adequately upon his return has provided ample evidence for his critics to use against him. 
No one questions his failure to govern the New World well, but his critics should also note that the Indians were not sinless members of a utopian society, as has often been portrayed. On his second voyage, Columbus found cannibalism of adults and children, human sacrifice, and idol worship. And that's from an article called Christopher Columbus, A Sinner with a Heart for Frontier Missions. And I did not write down the author's name in my notes, but I will have the full article on my blog. And so you can go and and look at the link there. But I bring this up for the simple reason of the fact that Christopher Columbus was not perfect. He was a man like you and I, but I feel like he gets wrongly maligned in a lot of ways. Notice a couple of things that this says. First of all, he had a desire to honor the Lord Jesus in his travels. Does that mean that he was 100% perfect in this pursuit? No. Uh, but if you talk to the people closest to me and you and you get a chance to observe me on a daily basis, I don't always hit that mark either. Sometimes I fail. The second thing that I want to mention is that just like any other society, there were good people and there were bad people. Okay, so a lot of the violence that um, people attribute to Christopher Columbus actually, according to Peter Marshall in The Light and the Glory, occurred in his absence. Now, as was stated in this article, his response to that may not have been the best, and he should be held to account for his response to it if it was not appropriate. But that does not make Columbus someone worthy of being totally denigrated by society at large. This goes back to a podcast that I recorded a year ago, summer, during the time of the George Floyd incident and the ensuing riots, when people were starting to pull down statues of famous Americans who they deemed not appropriate for honor. And I asked a question back then, and I submit it to you again, that question being, if they were to put up a statue of you, what thing that you have done in the last 20 years would cause it to be taken down? What is that imperfection in your life that would deem you unworthy of any honor regardless of what you've accomplished? I think the point I'm trying to make here is that none of us are perfect. And we all have things in our life that we regret. But if those things in our life that we regret cause us to not be able to do anything effective in the future, I think there's a problem there. And I think being able to honor Christopher Columbus for the efforts that he made is not disingenuous with the rest of America. I mean, think about this article. We, we, we read basically about a group of people who were friendly with Columbus, who helped him and his men out, and who were negotiating with them for certain things that were needed for survival. And then we read about another group of people that were basically savages and cannibals. 
these were both tribes, indigenous, if you will, who were possessing the land that Columbus had come upon. So which one are we giving the land back to? A lot of the peoples that had the land before we got here took it from another tribe. Why do we assume that just because they there were different tribes that they were all good? We can't make that assumption, just like we can't make that assumption that everything about someone is bad. There's no record of a Columbus-led genocide. There's no record that Columbus was a rapist. That's all conjecture that people have made. There's record that men that were under Columbus were rapists in his absence. Remember we read in this article that he left for a year and left men on the island to work with the people to learn what they could to live on the land. And they took advantage of his absence to do cruel and unusual and awful things. But that does not mean that Christopher Columbus himself was to blame. I think those are two different things. Now, all this being said, I will say, if this teaches us any lesson, it might teach us that we are too quick to erect statues of anyone. Because the reality is, none of us are perfect. The only one that is deserving of ultimate honor and praise is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But I think if you look through history, and you're looking for a perfect man or a perfect woman to emulate in history, you're not going to find that. Because there are none. You know, we, we consider Abraham a hero of our faith, but he took Hagar as his second wife because Sarah wasn't able to have children. And it was her idea, but then she got mad at Abraham when Hagar lorded it over her that, hey, I was able to get pregnant, I'm able to give this guy kids, and you're nothing. We consider Isaac a hero, even though he gave the birthright to the wrong son and had a favorite. We consider Jacob a hero, even though he was a liar and a deceiver over and over again. And when he got to the land of Egypt, what did he say to the Pharaoh? He said, Few and evil have been the days of my life. We, we consider Moses a hero, and yet he said, I am slow of tongue, and I can't speak for you, God. Send someone else. And God said, No, you're going to go and you're going to deliver my people. But then toward the end of his life, he struck the rock instead of speaking to it, and because of that, he was banished from the promised land. Because he said, 
can we bring you water out of this rock? As if he had anything to do with the success of bringing water out of a rock. These are all people from the Bible who we venerate as heroes, and rightly so. But they all had flaws and failures. We're in a place in our culture where supposedly only perfect people can be venerated. But the only problem with that is no one is perfect. So I just wanted to put this forward to you um, to give you something to think about. Again, the article will be on the blog. Feel free to send me an email. Let me know what you think about this. The next thing I want to talk to you about is actually a similar issue. I saw a meme um, referring to cultural appropriation, and basically someone on Facebook had said, be careful who you dress up for on Halloween. Because apparently dressing as someone who is a different nationality than you is no longer acceptable. Now, I want to unpack this a little bit because I do believe there could be some offensive forms of cultural appropriation. You know, a lot a lot is made for the fact that if you are doing a movie or a play and you have the ability to have someone who is a native of a particular race it would behoove you to have them be on your project rather than just the closest actor. And I can definitely see that. I would actually argue that when disability is portrayed in plays and in movies um, and in TV shows that it should be done more often by actual disabled actors. I really appreciated Speechless because the young man who played J.J., the main character, he was actually disabled. He was actually in a wheelchair, and it actually gave him the opportunity to show the world a little bit about what it's like to be us. So I definitely appreciate that. However, I do not believe that it is cultural appropriation if a little white five-year-old wants to dress as... Moana for Halloween. One of my favorite dress-up times was when I was in elementary school and I dressed up as an Indian for Thanksgiving. And we had a special meal at school and I enjoyed that. I don't think that should be considered an offensive form of cultural appropriation. Because if you're going to take if you're going to take that stance, then you have you would have to say that in order to act in a play like Pride and Prejudice, you should be British because it's offensive to have an American play that part. Now I know that's a little extreme, but that's basically what we're saying. And I, I think one of the things that's happened in this culture that we live in today is we've just said, how can I be offended? And we've come up with the best way to do that, quote-unquote, 
And that's what we do when we roll over in the morning and get out of bed and check our phone is say, what is there in the world to be offended about today? And I think that's just a wrong way of looking at things. If I was going to dress up as someone, for instance, I might think that dressing up like Abraham Lincoln would be a good idea, but I'm not six foot tall. I can't walk. So should I can, should that be considered offensive? Because I can't be either one of those prominent characteristics of one of the greatest presidents we ever had. I think not. So in summary, I'm just going to say it this way. I think that we should do our best to represent cultures in as authentic a way as possible. But since the idea of Halloween or even the idea of community theater is being someone different than what you are, then it can't be intrinsically offensive to dress up as your favorite character, regardless of what origin or race they are. Today we are busting the myth, Christians can harness the law of attraction. Now simply put, the law of attraction says that if I think positive thoughts, I can bring positivity into my life. And if I think negative thoughts, negative things will come into my life. Now as with so many things, as I mentioned earlier, there is a kernel of truth here. In the Proverbs we read, as as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. For our quote of the day, we read in Luke six forty three to 45 For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. So Jesus is alluding, at least to a degree, to the fact that your life will be characterized by what's in your heart. And so you could interpret this in certain ways, to say that it talks about um, the, the, the law of attraction. Um, but if we dig in, we'll see that that is not the case. Because, listen to this carefully, a good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. And as we've discussed in previous episodes of this series, we as mankind do not have the capacity to bring forth good out of our own lives. Paul said, and I mentioned this before, in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. 
So the reality is that we do not have any power in ourselves to harness any good. And so the law of attraction, as the world understands it, does not work. Here's the truth. Sinful people can't attract righteousness. Ephesians 2, 1 to 5. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit which now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. So, in this situation, we see that we were dead in trespasses and sins. So did we have any capacity to attract positivity into our lives? No. A dead person does not attract anything into their life. So what's the answer? The answer is that anything good that we have came from God because he is rich in mercy. So what is the key to having good in our life? The way that a Christian looks at this is that instead of being able to attract righteousness into our life, we need our minds renewed by Jesus and to focus on living for him and not ourselves. So it's a total change in the way that we consider living life. Paul wrote in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So I think the most important thing that precludes us from the law of attraction is the law of attraction is a self-centered law. It's the idea that I only want good things for my life, so that's what I'm going to attract. And the Bible never says that. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in this passage that we have one main goal in life, and that is to prove what is that good an acceptable and perfect will of God. So we're not living on our own timetable. We're not living by our own rules. We're not living by our own standards. We are living for God. The next thing I want to talk about is we will reap what we sow. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth of the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So again, this is another passage 
that might, on the surface, appear to agree with the law of attraction. God clearly says that if we sow good things, we will reap good things. If we sow bad things, we will reap bad things. That is a very clear message that God is conveying to us. And we should be careful what we sow. But there's another side to this reality, which is even if you are a man or a woman who is sold out to God, even if you are trying to do everything that God calls you to do, troubles will still come. God spoke to Satan about Job and said, Have you considered my certain Job who is righteous and escheweth evil? And Satan said, Well, he's only righteous because you've given him great wealth. Take away his wealth and he will curse you. So God takes away his wealth. Job continues to praise God. Then God takes away his health, and Job continues to praise God. Job was someone esteemed by God to be a righteous man that eschewed evil. Now, did that mean Job was perfect? No. If we get to the end of the book of Job, we find that Job is arguing with God, and God finally speaks to Job, and Job can only put his hand over his mouth and say, I'm not worthy to contend with you. You are right. You are God. I am not. And then, of course, God accepts Job's prayer of repentance for himself and his friends. But one thing you'll notice that's very interesting about the book of Job, Job's friends try to get him to confess sin as a means of recovering. They were convinced that the reason he was suffering was because of sin in his life. But they had no idea what was going on behind the scenes. And when God came and spoke to all of the people in the story, Job and his three friends, he said, Job was more righteous than any of you three. So this is not about Job being righteous or not righteous. This is about my decision to test him and to allow the devil to have a certain amount of power over him. But Job was righteous. He was doing what he knew to do to serve God, and yet God allowed that to happen. So, how, what is that, how does that apply to us? Jesus said in John sixteen thirty three, These things have I spoken unto you that, in you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. There's nowhere in the Bible where God says that the Christian life is a free pass on a bed of roses. Absolutely nowhere. God doesn't say, if you follow me, you won't suffer. Paul said all those who live godly in Christ Jesus, shall suffer persecution. Definitive article. The only thing he promises is that he overcame the world. He promises that he will walk with us 
He promises that he will help us through our difficulties, but he doesn't promise that they won't be there. Another factor that speaks against this law of attraction idea is that we can plan, but we can't control. Let's look at Proverbs 16, verse 9. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directs his steps. You know, there's a lot of things I could say about this passage, um, but let me just relate some things that have happened in my life. When I was in high school, my number one goal was to be a disc jockey on the radio, followed closely by being a senior pastor at a Baptist church. And God really took me on a journey which caused me to reframe both of those goals Incidentally, I would still like to be on the radio someday. But he did allow me to become a preacher. And he did allow me to become a podcaster. So, in a sense, I'm doing both of the things that I felt called to do, just in a different form. And some of the things that I have done along the way, I never thought I would do. I don't like downtown Grand Rapids. Um, I've never felt very comfortable downtown. It's not a knock on downtown. It's just the number of people, the number of buildings close together, the fact that it's difficult to get parking. So I never would have thought that I would be working there. But God called me to work for a year at Guiding Light Mission. I was homeschooled my whole life, so the last thing I thought I would do is spend five years teaching at Potter's House Christian High School. And yet, that's exactly what happened. And now I'm on this new chapter of my life where I'm trying to decide what's going to come next. I'm working on getting my YouTube channel back off the ground and continuing to produce new content uh, to encourage the believers. Knowing that every step of my journey has been directed by God, even though the things that I planned for when I was in high school have not come to fruition in that form. So man plans his way and the Lord directs his steps. That's why I would say to you, if you feel like you're faced with two really good options for something, choose one. And if God doesn't want you to go that way, he'll direct you either by a direct closed door or a check in your spirit. Um, and then you can go on to the other one. But I, I wouldn't get too hung up on the fact that if they're two good options, you might choose the wrong one because God will always come through for you if you are truly seeking him. Remember, he said, if you seek me, you will find. Again, definitive article. I love how definitive our God is. What's the reality of life? The reality of life is that God controls all of creation. In Colossians 1.16, we read, For by him were all things created 
that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or power, all things were created by him and for him. Does that leave anything out? No, it didn't. From every blade of grass to every human on this earth, they were created by the living God. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or power, all things were created by him and for him. Incidentally, that means that you were created for him. I hope that gives you some excitement and hope today. Because since you were created for him, it would naturally follow that he wants to have a relationship with you. Because God is a relational being. He said in Genesis one twenty seven. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Because he wanted to have fellowship. Something that none of the animals were able to give him. Next thing that shows us that the law of attraction simply does not work is that we have no strength of our own. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5, verse 6. You know, a lot of these false teachings that I've been talking about over the last several weeks are predicated on the idea that you and I are something special in and of ourselves. And over and over again, we face this truth dead on that that is absolutely not the case. That you and I are flawed, weak, in many cases even dead if we have not been redeemed. That is, of course, the case. Human beings. No power of our own And yet we can also say with confidence, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not me who strengthens me, Christ who strengthens me. That's an important distinction. In Acts we read that we live because of him. This is actually one of my favorite verses. And I I know I say this a lot, because there's so many good verses in the Bible, but listen to what this verse says. Paul is speaking, and he says, For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. The context of this, I believe, is Paul on Mars Hill. Um, He sees the the sculpture to the unknown God. So these pagans know that there's a God that they have not come to know yet. 
And and Paul is graciously actually saying not only is there a God that's known, but you can know him. And it's by his power that we as believers live and move and have our being. So where does this leave us? We have a choice. Either we live unto ourselves, as the world says, or we live for Christ. And the power of attraction is a very self-centered ideology. It says that I can get the things that I want out of life if I just want them bad enough. And that's not the way that you or I should live our lives. Because our thought process should be, how can I honor God? Our concluding verse today, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That doesn't leave room for the law of attraction. Because all it says is, whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'm going to do it for your glory. And sometimes that thing that he wants us to do is to suffer. Paul said, I know how to abound and I know how to suffer need. He talked about all the things that he had as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He said, I count them all lost that I might win Christ. That does not sound like someone who is harnessing the law of attraction. That sounds like someone who says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My goal as a believer, is to live that kind of life. My prayer for you is that you will want that as well. If you have been living your life for yourself long enough, won't you take this time to get off the throne of your life and to put Jesus on it? Or I should say rather, let him occupy it. Because he doesn't need you to put him on it. He just needs you to let him occupy it. And when Jesus occupies the life of a person, he will change it. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I pray that we would all desire to be renewed day by day in the things of Jesus Christ. I hope this blesses you today, and if it does, would you share it with a a friend or maybe two so they can find encouragement here on the Speaking for Him podcast? Also, if you would take the time to review this podcast on your podcast app of choice, that would be great 
reviews will help more people find us, and then we will be able to meet even more people each week as we equip ourselves for the journey that we call the Christian life. Well, that's all I have for this week. I hope that you have a great week and that, as always, you keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.